Hey y'all, welcome back to A Natural State of Murder. I'm your host, Jess, and as always, I'm very excited to be here with you today. I am really excited to be back with you guys, and tonight we are actually going to start our Serial Killer series, and these episodes, they're going to be like several episodes long, um, you know, for each serial killer that we cover, but we're going to get started tonight, and tonight we are going to start with the Zodiac Killer. David Faraday was a 17-year-old teenager who attended Vallejo High School in Vallejo, California. He was described as an excellent athlete and student. Betty Lou Jensen, she was a 16-year-old teenager who also attended school in Vallejo, but she actually went to Hogan High School, and it was just across town from David's school. Both were known to be very good kids, never caused trouble, never got into trouble, and they also had mutual friends, which is how they initially met. On December 20th, 1968, David and Betty were planning to go out together one night, and this was actually going to be their first date. According to friends and family, they were both very, very excited about this date. David picked Betty Lou up at her home, and they left her house around 8.20 p.m. that evening. David promised Betty Lou's parents that he would have her home by 11 p.m. The original plan or at least what they had told Betty Lou's parents, was that they were going to go to a Christmas concert at Betty Lou's school, and then they were going to go to a party. However, most of the resources that I have read, David and Betty Lou never actually went to this concert. They did, however, go to a friend's home. That friend's name is Sharon. Sharon reported they came to visit. They just visited for a little bit, and then they she walked them back to their car about 9 p.m., but she said they never really mentioned where they were going to next. David, however, had told his sister earlier in the evening that he and Betty Lou were probably going to go to Lake Herman Road after their date because a lot of the kids from school were supposed to be going out there that night. In reality, this area, really, it's like a lover's lane area for these teenagers. It's a place where these kids would go parking. Between leaving the friend's home at 9 p.m. and just before 10.15 p.m., David and Betty Lou stopped at Ed's drive-in to get a soda. Just before 10.15 p.m., David parked his Rambler in a gravel area on Lake Herman Road. It was located just outside of a gate and chain-linked fence, and on the other side was the pumping station there on Lake Herman. Around 11.10 p.m., Stella Borges left her ranch on Lake Herman Road to pick up her child from the movies. She came up on David's car about 11.15, which that was approximately an hour after the kids had parked there. Miss Borges, she initially saw the car. She saw that it was still running, and she saw that the front passenger door was open, and then she saw David lying on the ground. She said initially her first thought was that this kid had fallen out of the car, but then her headlights caught Betty Lou, and she saw Betty Lou lying face down in the gravel, and she knew that she had come across something much, much worse. Miss Borges, she flew like a bat out of hell to get help, and not too far away, she was able to flag down a Benincia police officer and alert him to what she had just seen a few minutes earlier. Benincia officers Captain Daniel Pitta and William Warner were the first on scene. The first thing that they did was call for an ambulance, because when they arrived, David was actually still breathing. 
They also contacted the county coroner because it was obvious, unfortunately, that Betty Lou was deceased when they arrived on scene. They also contacted the Solano County Sheriff's Department, and this is because this actually happened in their jurisdiction. Detective Les Lundblad with the Solano County Sheriff's Office took over the case. He sent two officers over to the hospital. They were really hoping that they would be able to get a statement from David and kind of, you know, get a statement and figure out what had happened. But when they arrived at the hospital shortly after 1220 a.m., David had actually been pronounced dead at 12.05 a.m. At the scene, David had been found face up just outside of the car. He had a close-range gunshot wound behind his left ear with dark gunshot residue around the wound. He also had a bulging area in his right cheek, and he had blood on his hands and on his shirt sleeves. Betty Lou was on her right side, and she was kind of face down. She was a little over 28 feet from the car, indicating that she had probably actually was able to get out of the car or get away from the car, and she ran. Um, Betty Lou had five gunshot wounds in an extremely tight pattern on the right upper side of her back. There were shell casings found at the scene. One was found in the floorboard of the car, and the other nine were found on the outside of the car, not far from David's body. The ammo that they discovered, it appeared to be a 22 caliber J.C. Higgins model, or like a high standard model 101. And the bullets that they found, they had been made, they had only been made by Winchester since October of 1967. So these actual models were fairly new. It was very cold that night. It was in the 20s and the ground was frozen. There really wasn't much found as far as evidence, like footprints in the ground. They did find a few light footprints in front of the car. But they also found like a deep hill mark from a footprint, and it was actually found on the other side of that fence behind the pump station. And the police kind of honestly wondered if there hadn't been somebody that had stood out there or, you know, had hidden back there for a while, just kind of waiting and watching. And, you know, was this a planned crime? Were they waiting for David and Betty Lou? Um, or were they just waiting for a couple or someone to pull up and it was, you know, a crime of opportunity. But then again, they also didn't know if this hill mark had anything to do with these, with, with the murders. After the autopsies were complete, seven slugs were recovered from between the bodies and the car. Four were in good condition and could be used for comparison. There was nothing too unique about these casings, though. The crime lab, they actually, they didn't think that they would be able to match these bullets to the gun, even if that gun was found that fired these fatal shots. There was nothing unique about these casings that they would be able to give, you know, a 100% match. There were no witnesses to the crime, but there were enough witnesses to kind of give a timeline and other possible evidence. The friend, Sharon, knew David and Betty Lou had left her home around 9 p.m. David had confirmed to at least his sister that they did have plans to go out to Lake Herman Road. 
there were two raccoon hunters that were out hunting that night, and they had seen a hardtop Chevy Impala parked at the Benencia Water Pumping Station on Lake Herman Road that night around 9 p.m. So this would have been around the time that David and Betty Lou were leaving Sharon's home. And they described the car as possibly a 1960 model hardtop Chevy Impala. Um, about 9.30 p.m., a boy and a girl were out on a date, and they had pulled over on Lake Herman Road so he could adjust the motor in her car. Both reported a car that they believed to be a blue Valiant past them, like they were leaving Benincia and going towards Vallejo. The kids got extremely creeped out, though, because the car passed them and then stopped just a short distance from the kids and put the car in reverse and started reversing back towards them very, very slowly. The boy said that the entire situation, like, it was basically, it was just off, like, way off. And he got this feeling, just this urge, that he needed to get himself and his girlfriend out of there. And so this boy, he slammed the hood to the car, jumped back in the car, and they sped off. And both of the kids, they actually reported that that strange car followed them until they took the turn off to go to Benincia. But the car kept going straight, and it was actually going straight in the direction that it had originally come from. At 10 p.m., a man out tending to a sheep reported seeing a white Chevy Impala parked at the Benencia Water Station on Lake Herman Road. So, this is an hour later, and we have someone else that is that has seen this white Chevy Impala yet again parked in the same area that David and Betty Lou were parked. But David and Betty Lou had not arrived at this point. At 10.15 p.m., a couple saw David's car parked there, and it was facing away from the road, and then they actually came back through again a few minutes later, and the car was still there, but it was facing towards the road this time. David and Betty Lou were seen together, parked in the car again at 11 p.m. by a woman and her husband, the Yours. Mr. Yor was working a construction site there at the pumping station, and they had swung by that night just to check on some supplies that he had stored there at the site. When they passed by them at 11 p.m., they both said that David was in the driver's seat and Betty Lou was sitting very close to him, and it appeared that her head was lying on his shoulder. They checked on the construction site, and then Mrs. Yor said the couple was still parked there, but... When the lights hit the car, this time, David put his hands up on the steering wheel, and I'm sure that he did that because he probably thought it was the police, or this is, you know, this is a little after 11 p.m. now, you know, or it could have been Betty Lou's parents out looking for her, you know, considering that she was supposed to be home by 11 p.m. But at this point, we know for sure that David and Betty Lou are still alive and that between 11 p.m. and 11.05 p.m., David's Rambler was the only car that was parked there. At 11.10 p.m., a worker with the oil company saw the Rambler in a second car parked right next to it. He could not remember the color of the car or maybe he just never recognized the color of the car or the model. He did not see the shooting. He did not hear the shooting. 
Um, but also whenever he went by, he didn't see anybody outside of either one of the cars and he did not see any body, bodies on the ground. He didn't see anything that stood out to him as strange or abnormal. Four to five minutes later, when Stella Borges finds David and Betty Lou, there was no other car present. So this attack happened very quickly. I mean, it literally happened within like a four minute span. The evidence available, though, it does seem to tell a story as to as far as to what the police believe happened. David and Betty Lou are parked. Another vehicle pulls up next to them. The shooter gets out, and he may have even at some point tried to get the kids to exit the car. He then fired two shots at the car, one into the back tire and one into the back driver's side window. Police believe the killer was forcing them to get out of the car on the passenger side. The killer then reached through the window in the back and put the gun to the back of David's head just behind his left ear and pulled the trigger, shooting him point blank, and he fell out of the car on the passenger side. Betty Lou was able to get out and ran a little more than 28 feet before she fell dead from five gunshot wounds to her upper right back. Betty Lou's gunshot wounds were evidence themselves as to who the killer could be. The killer stood at least 10 feet from Betty Lou as she ran across gravel. It was also pitch black that night, and the killer still managed to hit a moving target in a very tight pattern five shots that were very, very precise. So this tells the police that this is a shooter, that he's an expert. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what he's doing with the gun, and he's probably an expert shooter, at at least like a hunter, or a law enforcement background, or military background. All of these factors, as far as it's pitch black at night, a moving target, he may have even been moving himself. With all of that, he was still able to land this very, very tight pattern of five gunshot wounds. The first small lead that police had, um, actually, David Faraday, he had allegedly at one point witnessed a drug deal go down. And he seemed to talk about it pretty openly about what he had seen. Um, He talked about who was involved. He talked about alerting the police. And this alleged drug deal, if that is what you want to call it, appeared to really only involve a a small amount of marijuana. And this was checked out by police as well. And there did not be, there didn't appear to be any connection as, you know, to what had happened to David and Betty Lou. Betty Lou, also, she had, I would call it a stalker, and she was pretty sure that it was this boy from school that had a little crush on her, and she did not feel the same way about him. Um, She was 100% convinced. I don't know if she actually, like, ever saw him or if it was just feelings that she got, but she had to keep her windows closed, you know, like curtains over her windows, because... She was pretty sure that this kid was watching her through her windows at night. Um, And her mother also stated that there were times that she would come home and there there was a gate on the side of the Jensen home. And sometimes it would be wide open 
which was odd because this was a gate that stayed that stayed locked um and she would come home and it would be it that happened more than one time so miss jensen she was also concerned that there really was somebody at the time watching betty lou the police however and they spoke to this kid and they ruled him out as a suspect as well because he had a very tight alibi um you know for the night of the murders he was actually with several other people including a valencia police officer those closest to the victims like their family and friends all of them were interviewed and all of them were cleared normal suspects you know those that have you know violent behavior as far as previous violent crimes sex offenders And even mental patients were interviewed. Um, It were patients that was being treated at a nearby facility. All of them were all questioned. All of them were cleared. There were no suspects. There really wasn't much evidence. Police couldn't even find a motive. It was like this killer, he just appeared. And he killed just to kill. And then he disappeared as quickly as he appeared. And there would be no solid leads and no real suspect in these two murders until the following year. And that's where we're going to leave off. I am so excited to be back and I thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time. Bye.